Welcome to the second episode of ACC Northeast Practice and Career Management Committee's new podcast series, Around the In-House. I'm your moderator, Alex Afariot, Legal Counsel at the Boston Consulting Group and a member of the Practice and Career Management Committee. Each episode, we are sitting down with a different member of the in-house practice and speaking to them about their careers, their aspirations, some of their challenges, and their personal passions. We hope to provide our listeners with a great opportunity to hear directly from other members about the issues they're facing at their various stages of their legal career. So we're really glad to have you back for another trip around the in-house. This episode, we are joined by Bill Gabovich, General Counsel for Primark US Corporation, a multinational fast, fast fashion retailer based in Europe. Bill is a former associate general counsel at Staples, a former associate at two prestigious Boston law firms, and a graduate of Indiana University and the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Bill is also incredibly active in the Boston area as a member of three nonprofit boards and a staunch advocate for social justice, diversity, and inclusion. So we are really thrilled to have Bill joining us this week. Bill, welcome. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm excited to have the conversation. Excellent. So, you know, let's just dive right in. I want to start with your work at Primark. Um, and I know you're, you're not only the general counsel for the U.S. division um, of this growing retailer, but you're also the only lawyer based here in the U.S. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about your experience as both a GC and a team of one here in, here in the U.S. Yes, it's, it's interesting. Yes, people hear my title as general counsel. They think I'm commanding this big staff. And yet I'm at the copy machine. I'm going to FedEx if I need to send something out. Um, I'm from the top to the bottom of everything that needs to get down, done in the legal department. Um, but it's been great. It's been great. I've been there five years now, or approaching five years. And um, I love being part of this international fast fashion retailer. Um, I admit I had never heard of it when I first heard of this job. A friend had sent it to me. Um, and so I did research on the company. They did some research on me. And the company is a really uh, incredible um, organization that has high ethics, which is very important to me, um, as well as a great business model, and I believe is really primed for success in the U.S. And so how is being part of this global company impacting your work, just the global nature of, of how they operate? Yeah, so I love being part of an international team. Um, every Monday we get together um, now by video, and um, talk about what we're working on. And we have lawyers and professionals calling in from mainly from Dublin on our headquarters, but also we have a lawyer in Madrid and a lawyer in London. Um, when friends ask me about it, they say, oh, you're, you're now an international lawyer. And I, don't, I, I would say no to that completely. I only do American law. I think of myself as sort of both an interpreter of US law and a translator of American law practices. So a lot of times I'll get a contract like I did early this morning um, saying we have a question on this contract. We're negotiating across all of our 12 countries in which we uh, operate stores. Uh, tell us how this would work in America. So I look at it, think about it, you know, and respond back to them on that. Um, and that's, you know, part of a big jigsaw puzzle they're putting together of how to deal with that um, supplier or that company. Um, but then I'm also an interpreter of our practices. So when we get to settlements of lawsuits, um, when we think about what actions we want to take in litigation, um, the people in Dublin, who are a lot of the decision makers, um, don't know, you know so much about how American law works. I need to interpret it, talk about 
um, how litigation costs go, how expensive that can be, how whether we win or lose, we'll be paying our lawyers. Um, I have to talk about when we get a third party subpoena and we're not even in a case and yet we have to hire some experts to go through e-discovery in order to determine what we need to produce for the court. We have to do that even though you know it's not our fight, so to speak. So there's a lot of times that um, just knowing American law and how it practices um, and um, relating that to the executives in Dublin is a big part of my job. Um, but I enjoy that. It's really great. And seeing how Primark practices, both the lawyers and the business itself, across these 12 countries has been really interesting as well. That's incredible. And I, you know, you mentioned when you first started at Primark, you hadn't even heard of it. Um, and I'm curious, since joining five years ago, has your role evolved? Has it changed from what you expected? Yeah, so I went I was at Staples, I was one of a big team of lawyers, but the business group I supported was the retail store division. Um, at the mm -hmm. time, we had 1,500 U.S. stores in 48 states. When I accepted this job at Primark, we had zero open stores in the United States. I'd never been in one of our stores anywhere in the world. Um, and I started about three weeks after we opened our first store in downtown Boston. Um, we now have, now are operating nine. But yes, it's changed so much in those five years. So, um, and actually, even today, my practice is different than my peers in Dublin, um, just the breadth of the areas in which I practice. So because we have the U.S. regional office that runs the company, um, I support a lot of the functions in there, um, including our HR litigation people and other HR functions, which they don't do in, in Dublin. Um, I look at sort of everything across the board from intellectual property to customs to product quality to all sorts of contracts of suppliers and vendors um, to practices um, to claims of general liability or workers comp. Um, I work on property issues, negotiating leases with outside counsel help. Um, I really help out in any way I can. There are functions that um, Primark has in its, in its structure, such as facilities maintenance or asset protection or procurement, where there's no employees in the United States who are assigned to any of those. And I, in those, I play sort of a even larger role of being my business partners in Dublin, being their contact in America. So I'm talking to suppliers, sometimes I'm helping evaluate them, um, helping look for new suppliers in those areas that my um, colleagues in Dublin would never get involved with because they have whole staff there working in those areas. It has given me a lot of uh, openness into the business um, and I'm at the table a lot when um, we're looking at what we do next or how we do things better. Incredible. Well, you know, obviously we're dealing with a changing retail landscape in general uh, due to COVID-19. Um, and not that I wanna go too far down the COVID-19 rabbit hole, but I am curious how this has impacted your role. And um, you know, if you don't mind sharing what sort of issues you're seeing um, as a result of, of the changing landscape. Yeah, when I, you know, I think about my, my career as an in-house lawyer at, at two retailers, I always tell people um, it's not a regulated business. Most of the decisions in retail um, are not because of government regulation or um, safety or 
you know, sort of, they're not banks, they're not biopharma, they're not, you know, a lot of areas of law, um, finance, that everything you do, you need to check very, very closely, and there's uh, regulators looking at everything. But in this moment of COVID, we are much more regulated in the sense that to operate our stores, you know, when we were closing our U.S. stores at the beginning of the pandemic here, you know, there was a lot of question of, do we have to? When can we? You know, what does that mean for our leases where we might have an operating covenant? Um, and now that we're in the, in the phase of opening our stores, you know, there's so much regulation in one sense because the government has to say, here's how you're going to operate. Um, and then the malls, and most of our stores are in malls, have sometimes an additional set of rules. Um, and we need, to, we need to follow those for safely, safety reasons, obviously, but also because running a store is the lifeblood of our company. We want to open the stores as safely as we can, but as soon as we can. Um, but it's been interesting because normally in regulations, you know, it's, 10, it's section 105C3.2. Here it looks like a pamphlet. It's sort of on the website of Pennsylvania.gov or Mass.gov. It says, here are the kind of things you need to do. So I got a question the other day about we wanted to modify operation of a store in a little bit um, from how it was. And I had to call up the state and talk to somebody there and say, can we do this? Not knowing if the person on the other end of the line has any authority to do anything, would know what an inspector, seeing if we're complying, would do. Um, but it's it's interesting. They're not written as laws. They're sort of written as, you know, as a guide or, as I said, as a pamphlet. Um, so that's been very interesting. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's obviously affecting everyone. So it's it's crazy to hear um, hear how it's affecting your industry. Um, so I, I want to shift gears a bit. And, um, you know, one of the things I know you and I have spoken about is your passion uh, towards social justice. And, you know, we're obviously recording this, uh, this podcast at the very end of, of Pride Month. And we're also in the midst of, you know, in a really important national reckoning with racial inequity um, and, and racial justice. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on how, especially in the in-house legal community, uh, we can improve on the, these critical issues of, of diversity and inclusion. Oh, thanks, Al. It's a great question. I always enjoy talking about this um, and learning about this. So first I would say uh, it's my belief that the in-house community has an especial obligation to work on diversity and inclusion. Um, and and it's, it's really clear to me. The lawyer in, inside a company, and I assume everybody listening to this podcast, or other than my parents, everybody listening to this podcast, <laughs> um, see their, their role in a company as, you know, there's a lot of authority attached to whatever le level of lawyer you are in a company, whatever your role is, you are helping that company meet its objective, that organization move forward. Um, and to the person, the individual you're working with within your organization, you know, you have a lot of um, influence. If you say it needs to be done this way or can't be done that way, they're going to listen to you and work with you. Um, and that's the answer. So if, that, if the, using that position of authority and making sure that both because it's the right thing and where our society needs to be, but also the best thing for today, for the future, and for our companies in order to, to prosper, 
having a wide range of experiences and people in those roles so that the legal department, you know, in, in many ways can set the pace for the rest of the company on saying, we believe there's a lot of experiences and that we need to be brought to the table, especially in this critical area of um, the legal department. Um, and once you do that um, and, and show business people at all levels in the company from the C-suite down to recent entries that the people who are trusted to make sure the company is compliant with law, is following ethical obligations, and is doing the best for its employees, for its customers, for the markets in which it operates, are reflective of where we are in society, of who is in our society, whether it's gender orientation or identity, um, racial or ethnic backgrounds, ability or less ability, all sorts of different um, um, spectrums. We need to make sure that that showing that that, that is a diverse group of people. Um, we're going to get the best decisions, and we're going to influence people to see a wide range of people as the right people to have in positions of authority um, and of trust. That's a that's a great answer, and I you know I think sort of jumping from that, um, you know what what are you some of the things you think that businesses can do to sort of move from maybe just the conversation, which I think is important, the conversation's critical, where, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk about, about how we improve diversity, and then actually sort of sort of doing the work, the actual transformation to, to make it more reflective of, of, the, of the way we are as a society. Yeah, and, and believe me, Alex, I'm, you know, one voice that knows some pieces <laughs> of this, um, but there's so many people, you know, that I learn from every day um, on these questions and, and continue to learn from and know I will do that for the rest of my career. I mean, my thought is, you know, diversity is key, is, is step one. It's really about sort of the recruiting end of it. How do you get the people walking in to your doors, or in this case, signing on to your company Zooms, um, be reflective of, of uh, our society? Um, and that's crucial, and there's no question in Boston, we have a harder time with that than other parts of the country, and we really need to change that um, reality and perception, but both sides of that. But it's really moving towards inclusion. Um, and inclusion is sort of, you know, key to getting the best out of the people you're bringing in the door. Um, inclusion is key to having your company benefit from all these different experiences. It's not enough to say, okay, we've signed up, so to speak, people in these different boxes. If they're not in, in an environment where they feel that they are being valued for who they are in a broad sense, in every part of their sense, in the sense that um, the experience they've had in their past and, ex, and the extent of what legal knowledge they have from their previous jobs and from their law school careers in every way, then we're wasting our time. Um, if people aren't included and feel that what they say matters, for every single employee in your department, but especially for the diverse employees um, in a legal department, because that's why we want them there. We don't want them there for numbers or for surveys or for, you know, um, companies, uh, you know, scorecards. We want them there because they're going to strengthen what the company does, because they're going to make a better product of the legal knowledge that is, uh, that is communicated out of that department. Um, 
And I think getting to inclusion, um, and I don't know if we have time to talk about equity, but also equity, so that yeah, we sure. understand that what is what we're doing here is really, I mean, it's going to be looked upon in the future. I don't want to, I wish it was in five years. It might take a little bit longer, hopefully even less. Um, but at some point it's going to be, you know, the answer to the, the question of duh. Of course we want a broad range of people. Of course we need all experiences. Of course we need every person to feel that what they bring to work every day is their whole, true, authentic self. Um, until we get there, we, are, we have a lot of work to do. But it's so, in my mind, so easy to see we absolutely have to get there because that's mm -hmm. the best way to make your organization fully performing um, for everybody, for your employees, as well as for your customers and markets. Yeah, thank you for for those thoughts. Um, and I, you know, I I think thinking about even just sort of showing up to work. You know, we're so lucky to have someone with your level of experience um, with us. So I'm I'm curious on sort of your view of navigating an in-house career. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that you hear a lot about being a, an in-house lawyer is being a business partner. And you know, knowing your different roles throughout your career, I'm just curious, what does that term mean to you? And sort of how is that applied to your in-house career? That's a great question. And actually, when I got to Primark, our general counsel said, we don't use the word clients here. Nobody's a client. They're all business partners. And at first, I thought that was sort of, okay, he can say whatever he wants. That's fine. I'll try not to use that word. But over time, it really has hit me that it is, there is a difference in mindset, that a business partner is someone in you're in the same goal, your same mission. You're going forward on the same train, so to speak, um, to accomplish a goal. And you're each adding in together what you have to help get there. Um, so in terms of navigating a career, you know, my thoughts are one is you got to be a great lawyer. You got to know your stuff, ask for help when you need it, um, ask all the questions you need to understand what you're being asked to do. Um, you need to make your decisions uh, or your advice very business friendly in the, in the sense of the language and the options. You know, sometimes I call outside counsel and they'll say, well, you should do these 12 things. And I'm like, we have a retail assistant at the cash register doing that for eight hours that day. There's a limit to what I can have that person say to every single customer um, and how much time that takes. So you have to be very, very, very practical. At least that's, that's number one. It's how I, I see it. Number two, I would say is you have to understand the risk profile of your company. And I've only been at two, but they've had two very different risk profiles. Um, and you have to know the business really well. You have to understand both how you make money, how you lose money, what the competitive landscape is, um, and understand sort of just the parameters of how your business runs. Um, I've had a practice, and I did this at Staples, and I do it at Primark. Uh, whenever I can, I work in a store. Last Friday, I worked for four hours at our Burlington store. Um, putting hand sanitizer in people's hands at the door and telling them all the rules about how we are operating in this. Um, and I do that, you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's sort of fun, to be honest. I've worked at almost every job in our store now, at least in some way, other than the overnight um, fulfillment people. But um, I've been in a lot of different functions there. Um, but I do that because, as I said, it's fun. It connects me to the business. I've learned things on the sales floor about 
what who our customers are. You know, when I worked at our cash register on a Friday night in downtown Boston from two to six, I really saw our customers are very diverse, that there was a percent where the under 10-year-old was the only one in the family speaking English um, and was communicating. Um, I understood there were, there were some that, you know, and we have very low prices at Primark, but who I would give the total to after each item so that they knew how much money they had to spend. Um, and I had to take things out when we went over that amount. Um, and I also knew just how long it takes to do a transaction. Um, and I've been in all parts of the store and I've learned so many things. So when I give advice, I feel like I'm a lot more practical, understanding, and can balance the risk versus, you know, I can have a very detailed instruction on how to do a return. But if it's not going to be followed, then there's going to be an even bigger risk later. Um, and then the last part, what it does is it helps my credibility with the business. When I tell our area manager or our U.S. president, oh, I spent four hours at a store yesterday, they love it. They would say, this is a guy who doesn't just want to, you know, type on his computer. He wants to get involved in the business. He wants to know the business. And the store manager's employees know that and they see that and they listen, you know, I have more street cred out of doing that. So, you know, obviously retail is a little easier than other businesses um, to do that on. But I know my, at Staples, we had people, lawyers who would go on sales calls with B2B salespeople and people who would sit on customer service calls to listen in. And, you know, a lot of times it can only be observation. It can't be participating like I'm able to do in this case. Um, but I think getting to know your business, showing them you care about it um, is really helpful on, you know, on a lot of planes. That's a fantastic story um, and incredible that you're able to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple of things that we are, are trying to do on this podcast is, you know, there's a couple of questions I, I would like each of our guests to weigh in on and they, and they, you know, dovetail nicely with this conversation about building your in-house career. So, you know, when, when you entered, what do you wish you knew when you entered the in-house profession that you now know uh, from, you know, all your years at Staples and, and also now at Primark? Yeah. Good question. So one is how to talk business. At the beginning, it was definitely a lot more about legal theories. I sort of wanted to show, yeah, you were so great to hire me. I know this stuff. I'm going to talk in detail. I'm going to make, you know, occasionally use a little Latin. That's the word. That was the worst thing. Um, I really need to say what they can and can't do, not two hours on the why. Um, they wanted to know where to go and what to do next. Um, the second was, um, and I had a colleague at Staples who really taught me this. Um, you may be expert, and hopefully you are in what you're doing. I know, I know what my legal work is, what the documents I'm negotiating, what the concepts are. Um, and when a business person comes to you and says, and I just had this conversation this week, what's the difference between a services agreement and a statement of work? I know you told me two weeks ago. I don't remember. I need to tell the uh, company I'm negotiating with why we need to do both of these different documents, realize they are experts in what they do. They are now, when they're asking you a question like that, they're on your turf. So that's why you feel comfortable with it. But understand and respect. They know what they're doing. And um, don't, don't be arrogant. Don't feel like, oh, my God, I know the greatest stuff and I'm so smart because every question I get, I know the answer to. Yeah, you're not, you're not in their playground. They're in yours. So understand that. Um, and then last, 
um, is networking and you know creating cultivating making your network work for you um, is really really helpful and it's not just about oh what's my next job I need a network so I can call up people later or email people later and say hey do you know any jobs here's what I'm looking for it helps you succeed at your current job it should you need to connect with people um, and use that network um, when you can when you have a question when you are frustrated with what your you know your boss is telling you 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 need to use your network to make you a better person and make you a better lawyer um, all the time and then when it's there and it, you need to use it to find your next job um, I think of you know looking at the network and I go on LinkedIn probably more than I should um, but I try and congratulate people who have good things happening to them um, I try and comment um, on interesting articles or thoughts um, I try to keep my network fresh because I've been advised about that and I've seen all the benefits of it um, and I well I hope I'm that primark for maybe the rest of my career um, I'm in that phase of it where I can say that um, if I do need to look for another job at some point or decide I want to um, I certainly will have that network there so building and using your network is really key Terrific. And, and just one final question for me is, you know, you've given us some great career advice here, but I'm curious, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received? It's uh, a good question. Um, I, I, would, I think it's something that's not just career advice, but it's life advice, I guess, and I still work on it every single day. Um, I would say it's listen to hear, not to respond. Really think about what somebody's telling you. Um, understand sort of the emotion in it, the thought behind it, the hesitation in it, um, maybe even the agenda in it, and consider that. Um, don't just hear and wait till they stop speaking so you can say something. And believe me, I have a long way to go on that, but I do believe that's probably the best advice I've gotten. That's excellent and a, a really good uh, spot to end it. But obviously, I want to open it up, Bill, if there's anything else you want to share with us today. Um, I guess I, the only last thing I'd say is um, being in-house is really wonderful. I really enjoyed my time and continue to enjoy it. For me, um, what I sets it apart for me versus being in a law firm, and there are people who love law firms, and God help them, but that's great. Um, is you're together on a mission. If you believe in your organization, if you're proud of it, if you want it to succeed, and you, in my view, if you can, you should only be at organizations you want to succeed. Um, you're part of this team that's working together to get it there, and you have your important role in doing it. Um, and I'm lucky to be part of that um, at the two companies I've been at. Um, and I just think it's, it's a great way to practice law. Um, I hope everybody who should be an in-house gets in-house because um, it really, I know plenty of unhappy lawyers, but very few unhappy in-house lawyers. Um, and I think that says something. Oh, excellent. Well, Bill, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been really a pleasure to speak with you and getting to know more about, uh, about your time, uh, especially at Primark. It's uh, really phenomenal. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Alex. Thanks for asking to speak with me. I enjoyed our time together. 
Of course. Well, um, everyone, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at ACC Northeast and please watch out for the ACC Northeast chapter posts on LinkedIn to hear more future episodes of Around the In-House. I'm Alex Affariot and look forward to speaking with everyone again soon.